Uh, I want you to go ahead and get a head start to John chapter number 18. Turn with me there in your Bible. I'm starting a new series today simply called Truth in a World of Gray. Truth in a World of Gray. I think all of us this morning um, can admit that we live in a world today, a culture, to where the truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. As a matter of fact, we live in a world today where it seems like maybe what at one time was clearly marked lines of what's black and what's white has been grayed to where now we have this person over here who has their own truth that they believe and we have this person over here or this group of people over here who believe their own truths. We have different parties and different organizations who believe their own truths. And matter of fact, truth these days is really nothing more than one's own personal view to a lot of people. That truth today is, is often rejected, it's often uh, ignored, and it's hated. People don't want to hear the truth. People are offended by the truth. And so we live in this world to where there's a lot of gray, and, and it's almost like anything and everything goes. But the Bible speaks on and is clearly defined and should be recognized as the truth. And so I feel that this is something that for the last couple of weeks, God has been stirring my heart to talk about, to talk about this topic of truth. Everybody say truth. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 18, if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with your smartphone. If you have a Bible app on your smartphone, that's, that's totally acceptable. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. I think it's great to get familiar with the Word of God and, and knowing where things are to where you can quickly reference and bookmark and highlight and make notes and, and all kinds of things. So if you don't have your Bible this morning, I'm, I, don't be offended by what I'm saying, but I think it's a good habit to start bringing your Bible with you. Amen, Pastor. John chapter 18, verse 37. Now let me give you a little bit of context here. Jesus is, is standing before trial, if you will. He has been, he's been arrested. He's been taken into custody for, for several things, really. But really the main reason is because He is proclaiming to be the Son of God. And people took offense to that. They thought He was a maniac. They, and many of the rulers thought that He was going to turn people against the government. So they were, they were outraged by this. So we've got to do something about this. So they arrest Jesus and they bring him in and he's standing before uh, uh, the governor of, of Rome here, or one of the Roman governors, Pontius Pilate. If you've ever seen uh, The Passion of the Christ or, or something depicting uh, what Jesus went through, you're very familiar with Pontius Pilate. But, but they're engaged in this conversation and Pilate says to Jesus, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. But actually, I was born and I came into this world to testify to the truth. And then he says, all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. All who love the truth, they recognize that what I'm saying is true. And then Pilate makes this comment. It's, it's worded in the form of a question. He says, what is truth? What is truth? Just hours before Jesus is about to go to the cross to be crucified, he makes this statement to Pilate that the whole reason that I was born and the whole reason I came into this world was to testify to the truth. In other words, I am here to point people to the truth. I'm here to show people what is really truth in this world to where everybody seems to have an opinion as to what is right, as to what is wrong, as to what is right or fair, as to what is unfair, as, as to what is sin, as to what is righteousness. Everyone has this opinion, but I am here to testify 
to the truth. He says, this is the whole reason I came, so that people would know the truth and that they would believe the truth because one day they're going to be held accountable to the truth. So I have come to testify to the truth. And Pilate responds with what I believe is a sarcastic question. As a matter of fact, I don't even, I know it's worded in a question, but I don't believe the way he said it was in the form of a question. If it was, he would have probably waited for Jesus to respond, but he didn't even give Jesus a chance to respond. He makes a decision. So I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that he said something like this, what is truth? It wasn't a question so much as it was a statement. In other words, I believe that he was implying that, that he could care less what Jesus thought was truth. Because truth was really nothing more than one's own personal opinion. Well, yeah, Jesus, you may have a truth, but I have a truth. And what's true to you may not be true to me. So what is truth? And I believe that this is where a lot of people are in our world today. Everyone has their own concept or idea of truth. I mentioned it a while ago. We have different groups of people who they believe certain things, but what is right for them may not be right for me. And what, what's right for me may not be right for them. What I believe is truth, well, maybe they don't believe is truth. And so we live in this world where, where really it's, uh, there's, it's, it's a world of grade, where no one really knows what the truth is. To some people, they believe in absolute truth, but other people, they don't believe in absolute truth. Rather, they believe in relative truth. And that's what I want to talk about today when we answer this question that, that Pilate uh, says here, what is truth? I want to answer that question, what is truth, by talking about two different concepts of truth. If you take notes, it's relative truth and absolute truth. Relative truth and absolute truth. I want to pray that God would open the eyes of our understanding this morning, that we would see clearly what is truth. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity that I have to teach your word today. God, I do not take this lightly. I recognize that there is a a great responsibility behind uh, teaching the Word of God. And so, Father, I ask that you would anoint my lips, anoint my heart, anoint my mind to think the thoughts of God today, to speak the words of God today. I pray that you would anoint our hearts and ears this morning as listeners, that we would be attentive to the Word of God, that we would listen to what the Word of God has to say to our lives, God, because one day we are going to be held accountable to what you have proclaimed as truth. So, Father, I know that there are many different viewpoints in our world today. God, there are people who have formulated their own opinions about what they believe to be right and to be wrong. And so, God, I just ask that this morning that, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us this morning your word. So, God, we just ask that you would give us a heart to listen and eyes of understanding this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to define these two concepts of truth. And I, I do want to give some credit this morning. There was, a, there was a sermon series that was actually done to a group of, of youth uh, students by a youth pastor by the name of Jason Laird. I don't know if many, any of you know him. He's a, a youth pastor down at, at Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. Great church. I, I, pastor Robert Morris is the senior pastor. I listen to so much of his stuff. Very good uh, speaker and author. But in their youth, they did a series. I believe the name of the series was called Skeptics. And it was, a, it was like an apologetic type of series to where they were helping young people uh, get informed on how to defend their faith. Because these, especially high schoolers that are going to be going into college one day, you're going you're to get bombarded with all sorts of different beliefs from professors and, and other college students. And they're going to try to debunk what you believe. They're going to try to tell you that the Bible is not real. 
And so a lot of the material that I'm going to use this morning, and even, even a couple of illustrations, uh, comes from this, this series on skeptics. So absolute truth and, and relative truth. Absolute truth, if you take notes, here's the definition. Absolute truth claims that truth is absolute. In other words, it's unchanging regardless of people, place, or times. Truth is truth no matter what. That's what absolute truth is. In other words, what was true in the 19, you know, 1920 is still true in 2018. It's an absolute truth. It never changes. That's what absolute truth is. And sadly, and this is scary, guys. I want you to listen to this. Sadly, this is where not only the majority of the world, or excuse me, not only the majority of the world has a hard time believing in absolute truth, but statistics show that 75% of professing Christians struggle with believing in such thing as absolute truth. That's scary. On the contrary to that, we, on the flip side, we have relative truth, which, which really you're believing one or the other. You either believe in absolute truth or you believe in relative truth. Relative truth simply says that truth is not absolute, that it can change depending on people, place, or times. For example, yeah, that may have been true back in the 1930s, but, but times have changed. You know, we have different technologies now. Times have changed. It's, yeah, that may have been true back then, but it's no longer true today. Times have changed. How many ever heard that? Times have changed. I mean, we live in a different culture today, and we do. Or people have changed. Yeah, you know, I've once believed this, but now I believe that. Or yeah, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or... Or, or maybe circumstances have changed the truth. That's what relative truth means. And, and relative truth comes from this idea of relativism, which states that truth is simply subjective. It's subjected to circumstances. It, it changes based on circumstances. Or it changes based on where you are. Or it changes based on who you are or, or what you proclaim to be, a Democrat or Republican or, or Independent. Uh, and I'm not trying to get political, but you, you understand my point this morning that, that truth is relative. It's subjective to places or whatever it is that I may be going through or whoever it is that I may be around at the moment. Something that was wrong maybe a hundred years ago is no longer morally wrong today. And really, when you talk about truth, relative truth versus absolute truth, really the, the two main areas where that's a struggle is, is, is uh, morality and religion. That's really where the main argument is as far as absolute truth versus uh, relative truth. Here's, a, here's an example of relative truth. Um, 30 years ago, when I was in high school, and my goodness, that seems that's so long ago. I just turned 46, so 30 years ago, I would have been obviously 16. I would have been a, a sophomore. Man, that's, anyway, let's move past that. Um, and please hear my heart this morning when I, when I talk about this. But, but 30 years ago, um, uh, to be gay or to be a lesbian or identify with LGBT community, that was, that was unheard of. Now, I know that there were people who were gay and who were lesbians, and, but, but it, they really lived a secretive life. I mean, you did, it wasn't public. They were in the closet, if you will. I, I'm not saying that there weren't people at the school I went through, but if, if there were, you, you, it wasn't known at all. You never saw same-sex couples holding hands. You never, you never saw any sort of public display of affection 
of, of same sex. How many of you that are as old as I am, you know what I'm talking about. It just wasn't common. Well, now fast forward 30 years to the world that we live in today. It is a common thing to see same-sex couples, same-sex relationships. And once again, this is not about, this is not a message on gays and versus straight. I'm just trying to tell you, give you an example of what relative truth is. What, what 30 years ago used to be considered morally wrong. I mean, people knew that was wrong. 30 years, you don't do that. Now fast forward 30 years, now it has become socially acceptable. It's become common. I mean, you see people, you can't, even in Russellville, Arkansas, used to, it was, oh yeah, that happens in San Francisco. That don't happen in Pottsville or Russellville. Now, even in Russellville, Arkansas, you can spend 30 minutes in town. Just go to Walmart and sit, especially if you're old. That's what you guys like to do. Go to Walmart and sit for a while and just, and just watch people. If you spend 30 minutes in Walmart just watching people, you're going to see at least three same-sex couples or more. It's a common thing. It's become socially acceptable. And we've even passed laws in government affirming same-sex marriages. You see, this is an example of relative truth. Once again, please hear my heart. This is not a message about gays and, and straights. It's not a message about this is sin and this is not sin. I'm giving you an example of what relative truth is. Well, yeah, you know, 30 years ago that used to be wrong. But now it's, it's okay today. I mean, you can't even watch a commercial, a, a commercial on television is portraying same-sex couples, sitcoms, songs, movies. It is a common thing. They, they proudly display that this is okay. That's relative truth. Uh, relative truth. Uh, well, I, I know it may have been wrong back then, but it's not wrong today. It may be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. This is an idea that truth is subjective. It's subjective to person, place, or times. And then they get offended. Well, who are you to tell me what is, what is true? Who are you to tell me what is right or wrong? You're wrong for telling me that I'm wrong, which is really a contradicting statement. Yeah, you know what? This is an example of, of relative truth. And sadly, as I said a while ago, this is where the majority of people, including professing Christians, fall. They don't believe in absolute truth. And there's a, there's a lot of problems with believing in relative truth. I'm going to give you four problems that, are, that have to deal with believing in relative truth. The first one is that it's illogical. Write that down. It's illogical. Believing in relative truth is illogical. In other words, believing that there's no such thing as absolute truth is illogical. It means it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to not believe in absolute truth truth. It's contradicting. For someone to say there's no such thing as absolute truth is a contradicting statement because you're making an absolute claim that something is not absolute, that there's no such thing as absolute. When you say there's no such thing as absolute truth, you are making an absolute claim. It would be like for me to get up here and say, everything that I say is a lie. I'm going to just let you think about that because I, I know that's one of those things that you, you don't get at first. But if I say everything that I say is a lie, if everything that I do say is a lie, then guess what I just told by saying that everything I say is a lie? The truth. No, I just told the truth by saying everything that I say is a lie. I know you're all confused now. You're going to go, well, 
Okay, we got to move on from that thought. I don't want you to get hung up on that. If I say that everything that I say is a lie, if everything I say is a lie, then I just told the truth because I just made a, a true statement that everything I say is a lie, which is actually a contradicting statement because now I just told the truth. Maybe I've confused myself. I don't know. <laughs> Another example was for me to say, and here's what a lot of uh, relativists say. They'll say, no one knows the truth. Well, that doesn't make sense because for you to say that no one knows the truth is for, is for you to make the claim that I know the truth, that no one knows the truth. So it, it, to not believe in absolute truth is illogical. It doesn't make sense. Number two, it's irresponsible to believe in relative truth. With, with no absolute truth, people can say and do anything that they want to do with no fear of consequences. Because what's true for Pastor Jerry may not be true for me. So I don't, you know, it, it maybe may what's true for him, not true for me. If I did something that may be true for him, and now he's like, well, you know, you, you, sh you shouldn't be doing that because here are consequences. There's no consequences to me because that's not true for me. I live in my own reality. I, I think about my little girl. She's, she's 13 years old, and, and a lot of times, and Pastor Landon rubbed off on me. I've, I've become a grammar Nazi in my house, and, and, uh, they hate it, but Lakin will say something, and I'll, I'll say, you know, that's incorrect. And she says, well, that's correct in Lakin's world. <laughs> she has her own reality. <laughs> may not be true for me, but it's true for her. This is, this is, this is relative truth. And it's, it's irresponsible to not believe in, in absolute truth, because anything goes. Anything goes. You can't tell me what's right or what's wrong, because this is right or this is wrong for me. There's no consequences. Don't impose your views on me. I get to determine what is right or wrong in my life. This is the world that we live in, isn't it? Everyone wants to determine their own laws. Think about this for a second. Here's a, here's a good example of, of, a, of a relativist. Uh, let, let's say that someone who doesn't believe in absolute truth but believes in relative truth, they're driving down the road and they're doing 80 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. And they get pulled over and... The officer walks up to the window and the relativist says, is there a problem, officer? He says, yeah, you were doing 80 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. Well, the relativist is going to say, well, officer, what's, what, what's 80 miles an hour to you is 40 miles an hour to me. Because, officer, you're using a little radar gun to determine what 80 miles an hour is. But I, I use the, the, the feel. You know, I, I can tell. I just look at the trees passing or... If I got my window down, I can tell how the wind's hitting me in the air. And so what you're saying is 80 miles an hour is really only 40 miles an hour. Do you see where I'm going? I mean, they live in their own reality, their own world. There's no consequences. However, because there is such thing as absolute law, the officer is going to look at them and say, well, here's your new reality. You're going to jail. <laughs> so it's irresponsible to not believe in the absolute truth. It's irresponsible to be a relativist. Here's another thing. Not only is it illogical and irresponsible, but it's also inconsistent. This one, there, there's no consistency to someone who is a relativist. And, and what I mean by that is that even a, a, a relativist who claims that there is no such thing as absolute truth will acknowledge gravity, which, which is an absolute. Gravity affects everyone. They'll acknowledge that. You know why they acknowledge that? Because it fits into their system. Here, here, here's a better example. Let me give you this illustration. Let me, let me read this to you word for word. A relativist, which is someone who believes in relative truth, that, that truth is relative to the person, 
or it's relative to the situation, or it's relative to the times. A relativist comes home to find that his house has been broken into and all of his furniture has been stolen. No relativist is going to say, oh, how wonderful that the burglar was able to fulfill his reality by robbing my house. Who am I to impose my view of what's right and wrong on his wonderful burglary? Quite the contrary, the relativist will feel violated just as anyone would. And then, of course, it's okay for him to be a relativist as long as the system works in an absolutist way by protecting his rights. In other words, there's no consistency to it. It's, it's okay that the truth is relative so long as it fits into your relativist mindset. It's illogical. It's irresponsible. It's inconsistent. Number four, here's a big one. It opposes God. It opposes God. To believe in relative truth means that you don't believe that God is the source of truth. You believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. So to believe in relative truth, which means that truth changes depending on times or culture or persons or, or, or people or, or, or places, you're actually saying that God is not the source of truth, but rather you're saying that you're the source of truth. You determine what's right. You determine what's wrong. You determine what is just, what is unjust, what's fair, what's unfair. You determine what's sin, what's not sin. That's all left up to you. And there's a big problem with that. Because you and I do not have the rights to determine what is right or what is wrong. That privilege is only for God, who created all of us. However, relative truth is the truth that so many people, once again, including many profession Christians, want to cling to today. We want to take God and fit Him into our preferences. We want to take His Word and manipulate it and twist it to conform to our feelings. We, we, want, to, we want to bend... God and wrap him around what we like. And you see this today. I mean, there are, there are so many different denominations and people bounce from church to church until they find some church or pastor that is teaching something supposedly from the Word that affirms their life choices. That affirms what they believe is right and wrong. People don't want to hear the truth. They want something that's going to affirm what they believe is true. And this is where the majority of people are today. Many people don't believe that there's absolute truth. That God is the source of truth. Matter of fact, if you take notes, write this down. God is the source and the standard for truth. He's the source and the standard for truth. We should have a slide for that, guys. The source and the standard for truth. He's the one that gets to set the rules. He's the one that gets to, to set the standard that all of us are going to be judged by. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Amos. I know that's not a very popular book. You're like, what in the world? Amos? Scott, that's the Old Testament. Are you sure you, you sure you even have Old Testament in your Bible? Yes, I do. Um, if you can't find Amos, if you know where Matthew is, which is the first book of the New Testament, count backwards ten books. 
Okay, that's, <laughs> I was trying to find an easy way for you to get there. Or if you have a New Living Translation, you have the version I have. It's on page 736. <laughs> uh, let me give you a little bit of context, okay? The, the people of Israel, God's people, were once following God. They were once following His, His law. They were once obeying His truths. And for whatever reason, I mean, it happens, they got away from following His principles. They became relativists. I, I, I'm sure that there was something that was going on back then. They were like, you know, that, that may have been true ten years ago. That may have been true for grandma and grandpa, but we live in a different time now. That doesn't apply to us. And so they begin to formulate their own views of what is truth. They begin to determine for themselves what they thought was right and what they thought was wrong. They begin to determine for themselves what they thought was sin and what wasn't sin. Guys, this is, I mean, everything in history repeats itself. We're seeing that in the world that we live in today. Yeah, what may have been true for grandma and grandpa is no longer true. I mean, we live in a different time. We have technology. We have internet. We have this. We have that. I mean, we drive cars. It's just times are different. What once used to mean this no longer means that. I mean, you know that. I'm just, there are certain words that, that my kids will call me out on. I'll say words that, that a long time ago they meant something else when I was in school. And they're like, Dad, don't say that. That doesn't mean what you think it means. Who has the right to redefine a word? Anyway, that's not my message this morning, but that's the world that we live in. And so that was what was going on in, in, in Amos's day. So God calls this man named Amos, who's, who's a preacher, he's a prophet, and he says, Amos, I want you to give a message to my people because they've abandoned the truth. They've started, they've started doing things and formulating their own view of what is true and what's not true. And so God gives this message to Amos. Amos chapter number 7, verse 7, it says this. Amos says, I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I answered, I see a plumb line. And the Lord replied, look at this. I will test my people with this plumb line. And I will no longer ignore all their sins. I don't know if you know what a plumb line or not is, but I went and bought one yesterday because I didn't have one. I have a, you know, like a four-foot level at the house to where uh, you, if you work in construction at all, you can use a level, you can lay it horizontally, and you can measure if something's level, or you can turn it vertical, and it's got little bubbles that stay between the line. It shows whether or not a wall is plumb. Well, those things are good, but they're really not near as accurate as a plumb line. A plumb line, when it's used in construction, you, you, you take that, this is like 20 foot, I'm not going to unroll it, but but you hold it at the top. If I was checking the plumb of, let's say this, I need something here. I need an illustration. If this was a wall and I wanted to check if this was plumb or not, I would hold it at the top of this and I could take me a tape measure and say, okay, well, it's two inches away here and then check the bottom. It's got a weight, a plumb bob at the bottom and check the measurement there and it may be two inches here and it may be two and a quarter there, which means that it is out of plumb. It's not... Straight. It may look straight, but it's not straight. And so God is, is giving Amos this picture. He's saying, Amos, these people have gotten off track. They're, they're believing what they want to believe about truth. They're formulating their own mindsets about what is right and what is wrong. I'm going to show you a vision. He says, Amos, what are you seeing? He says, I see a plumb line. 
Now, you don't see this in the text, but I believe that God was also asking him, Amos, who's holding that plumb line? And Amos is like, God, you're holding it. He said, that's right. I am the one who gets to set the standard. And he's saying, I'm going to use this plumb line to test my people. I'm going to use what I say is the standard to test my people. I'm going to use what is the source of all truth to test my people to see if they line up with my standard. Because that's what they are going to be judged by. And see, what we want to do is we want to take this plumb line and we, we want to bend it and, and say, okay, that's straight. That's truth. Or, 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 or this is truth. Well, this may be truth for you over here, but this is truth for me over here. God is saying, you don't get the right to say what is true and what's not true. I am the one who sets the standard. I am the one who holds the plumb line. And every, listen to me, please, if you don't hear anything else I say, God is saying this. He said it to them back then who had gotten away from the truth, and He's saying it to our generation today. That you don't get to determine for yourselves what is right and what is wrong. You don't get to set what is sin and what's not sin. You don't get to determine what is righteousness and what is not righteousness. You don't get to say what is right and what is wrong. God is the only one who is the source of truth. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are going to give an account to. When we stand before God for judgment, he, He's not going to look at us and say, uh, okay, well, well, what did you think was true? Well, God, you know, I, this was my view of truth. Or this was so-and-so's view of truth. No, no, He's, he's going to get the plumb line out. And He's going to see how far off that we are. This is the standard for truth. God is the only source of truth. It won't be according to your viewpoints. It, listen, young people, it won't even be according to what your mom and dad taught you. And mom and dad, you have a huge responsibility to teach them the truth, but, but we can't just rely on mom and dad. You can't just even rely on your pastor. I'll do my best to teach you the truth, but you have to break open the Word of God because this is what you're going to be judged by. Truth. God is the source of all truth. Well, pastor, what I understand God is the, the source of all truth, but... But how do you know what the truth looks like? Or how do you know what the truth is? Let me give you three quick ways in closing. Three ways that God reveals His truth to us. Number one, He reveals His truth by His Son, Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14 through 17 says this, And the Word became flesh. Speaking of Jesus. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and what? Truth. A lot of people... And you got to have both, but a lot of people lean more towards the grace side and they ignore that truth. I don't like that truth. Let's, let's, let's lean more towards grace. He's full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. Verse 17, look at this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How did God, one of the ways that God reveals His truth is by the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus testified to Pilate, the whole reason that I have come, the whole reason I was born was to testify to the truth, to show people what is the truth. Truth is not just a concept, it's not just a principle, it's not just a philosophy, it's not just an idea. Truth is a person and His name is Jesus. 
God reveals His truth in His Son, Jesus. Jesus, truth is not just His character. It's not just His nature. It's who He is. When you see Jesus, you see the truth, which is good news. When you open up the Bible and you read about Jesus, what you're seeing by the things that He did, you're seeing truth. He taught us how to truly give, how to truly be a blessing, how to truly serve, how to truly do this and do that. When you see Jesus, you see the truth. Jesus was truth personified. John 14, verse 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Look at that. I am. Jesus makes this proclamation. I am the truth. I am the truth. This is interesting. All other religions will say things like this. Follow me and I will show you the truth. Buddha will say, follow me and I will show you the truth. Muhammad will say, follow me and I will show you the truth. Jesus says, follow me. I am the truth. <laughs> I'm just going to show you that you follow. I am the truth. He's the truth. God reveals His truth to us through His Son, Jesus. Number two, He reveals His truth through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 26 through 27. But when the Helper comes, this is Jesus, when the Helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, look what, he, look what He calls the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of what? Truth. Who proceeds from the Father, He will do what? He will testify of me. I am the truth. He's going to testify of me. He's going to testify of the truth. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. If we can recognize that God is the source of all truth and we want to know what that looks like, first of all, we look at and see Jesus, what Jesus did, how He modeled that for us. Because when we see Jesus, when we see His acts, when we see His actions, when we see His thoughts, when we see His expressions, all the things that Jesus did, He was the truth wrapped up in the flesh. And now as we've believed in Jesus, now the Holy Spirit lives in us. You should know about this, this Holy Spirit. We spent four weeks on it a few weeks ago. Four weeks on the Holy Spirit. Now He lives inside of us and He's going to lead us and direct us to all truth. Guess what? Here's the good news. You want to know the truth? You want to know what's right and what's wrong? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you because He lives inside of you. He's going to steer you and guide you to show you what is true and what's not true. And one of the ways that works is he works that through conviction. Now, we don't like conviction. We're going to talk about this next week. Truth comes in a pill form, but it's very hard to swallow. We don't like the truth. Jesus said the truth will make you free, but not before it makes you miserable. Truth hurts. Because it's usually in opposition to what we believe and what we want. But the Holy Spirit will convict us and show it. Scott, don't do that. That's not who you are. It's not a good decision. You're not going to like the consequences of that. And so if I follow the truth, if I follow the Holy Spirit and His conviction and His leading and guiding, I'll always be walking in the truth. And I'll know the truth. Pray and ask Him to teach you. And then number three, God reveals His truth to us through His Scripture. His Word. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17, verse 17. He says, Father, sanctify them. That means set them apart by your truth. And then he says, your word is what? Is truth. Father, set them apart by your word. 
by your truth. Your word is truth. I have made this statement time and time again, and I will continue to make this statement time and time again. There's a whole lot of people today, including professing Christians, who do not live a life that is set apart from the rest of the world. And the reason they don't live a life that is set apart from the rest of the world is because they don't know the Word of God. Because if they knew the Word of God, Jesus is saying, set them apart by your truth. Your, your Word is truth. Your Word is truth. It's going to set people apart. We're going to read that and say, oh, I don't need to do that. Oh, so that's sin. Oh, that's righteousness. Okay, well, that's not what I thought, but that's the Bible. That's the source of truth, so I'm going to follow this. People aren't set apart. They're not living a life today that's set apart because they don't read the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. I'm, I'm not here to bring condemnation on us because I know we all go through seasons to where sometimes we're passionate about the Word and sometimes we're like, eh. But let me ask you, when's the last time you read the Word of God? How much did you read it this morning? How much did you read it this week? How much have you read it in the last month? For the majority of us, we're, right now we're thinking, oh, I didn't make time for the Word of God this morning. That's why we don't know the truth. That, that's why we've become gray. That's why we make bad choices when it comes to the movies that we watch and the things that we read and the things that we say and the things that we listen to. That, that, that's why we start accepting what used to be morally wrong. We start accepting things as it's okay. We start accepting things as truth today because we have gotten away from the Word of God, which is truth. Guys, I, I don't care how you look at me. I don't care what you're thinking this morning. This is the truth, what I'm teaching you today. We, and this, I mean, this goes back years. We've taken prayer out of school. We've taken the Bible out of school. We take, and, and I'm not here to make an uproar about that because it needs to be in our homes more than it needs to be in our schools. If it's not in our, our, our homes, who cares what happens at school? It starts at home. But we've taken out, we, we neglect it. I mean, we use it as an accessory item. We put it on our dash and we look cool. We carry it around so people know we're Christians. Oh, it's one of them people. But our lives look just like the rest of the world. Jesus, once again, he's saying, this is the standard. This is what you're going to give an account to. And how in the world are we going to know what this standard is if we never open this book? Guys, that is, man, hear my, that is scary. You're not talking about making a bad decision on a car that you can take it back in, in two months because it's, it's not what you thought it was. We're talking on you're gambling with your eternal life. This is the standard by which you are going to give an account. I, it doesn't matter how many laws they pass that says this is okay or that's okay, you're going to give an account to this book right here. The source of truth. Don't let anyone... Listen to me. I'll, I'll finish with this statement. Praise team, go ahead and come on up. I'm going to finish with this statement. Don't let anything or anyone be the determining factor what, for what you believe is true. You let the Word of God determine what is truth in your life. Because this is what you're going to give an account to. Guys, it's time that we make some commitments to grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's time, a message like this today should at least begin to cause you to formulate questions in your mind. Man, what have I believed lies? Do I believe that truth is relative to situations or to times or to people? Or do I believe that that truth is absolute and that God is the source and the standard for all truth. And that He's the one that I'm going to give an account to. It's time to make some commitments to get into the Word of God, to get into prayer, 
to become more passionate about Jesus, to become more passionate about worship, to become more passionate about church attendance, to become more passionate about what Jesus wants for our lives. Our time is running out. I don't care if you live to be 85 years old and have a truth that you cling to. You're going to die, but God's truth is going to stand eternal. And that's what you're going to be judged by. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to spend just about five minutes just, just taking the time to worship and, and make any decisions that need to be made this morning to grow in our walk with God. Father, I thank You so much for this time that You've allowed me to speak into our lives today. I thank You for truth. God, I'm thankful that we don't have to guess. We don't have to hope that what we believe is true and that we hope and pray that things turn out right. God, we know that You are the source of truth. You are the standard of truth. And that it's Your standard that we're going to have to give an an account to. It's your standard, it's your source of truth that we're going to have to answer to. So God, I pray and I ask this morning, if there's anyone that's in this room today who, who is trying to be a relativist, who, who thinks that whatever they feel is right or whatever they feel is wrong, and, and they have become their own gods determining what is sin and what's, what's not sin, what's okay, what's not okay. God, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and begin to convict them right now that one day they're going to give an account, not for what they think is right or wrong, but Lord, what You have said in Your Word. And I pray that all of us today, no matter if we've been saved for 25 years, God, I pray that all of us today would take one step closer to You and draw closer to You today and become more passionate about You and about Your Word. God, rekindle a fire in our hearts, Lord, to want to to read the Word of God so that we'll know the truth and that we can become free. God, I thank You for what You're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, we give You praise. Amen. We're going to take about however long this song is, four to five minutes. And I want to just ask you, as they're singing, as they're leading this word, this is not, they're not up here for your entertainment. They're up here.